Hey, you know what that sound is. And you know that beat. This is the Keith Battle Podcast, and I'm Keith Battle. And I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to share with you the things that I'm learning from the wonderful people that I'm meeting and connecting with. And this week is no exception. Really excited about today's guest and what she will be sharing with our audience and what we can learn from her journey and experience. Our guest today is Jennifer Beatles. She's a native of the Northwest region of the United States in the state of Washington. So we have something in common. I'm in Washington. She's in Washington, but it's uh, several time zones apart. <laughs> uh, she's been investing in real estate since 2007. And she started out with a focus on building new construction and developing land. But after becoming a license and becoming licensed as a real estate broker, I'm sorry, in 2009, she went on to sell over $100 million in her eight-year career working primarily with investors, which allow her to build a rental portfolio that generates over six figures a year in passive income. Jennifer's investing experience includes flipping houses, building and, spe- and selling spec homes, uh, building to hold multifamily properties, uh, assisted living, hard money lending, and apartment acquisitions. She now spends her time educating everyday people on how to build passive income streams and making connections with investment savvy agents in markets across the United States through her company's Agents Invest. Jennifer, that was a great introduction. Great bio. Welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So first of all, Jennifer, I know a man's not supposed to ask a woman her age, but I think (laughs) the purpose of this podcast and inspiring our audience today for where we're going to go, would you please just tell us how old you are? Absolutely. Yes. I just had a birthday last month and I turned 34 years old. 34 years old, y'all. Now, the reason why I did that, the reason why I violated protocol and asked this lady her age is because she needs to know she's retired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she did it in the real estate world, in the real estate business. And for those who don't know, Jennifer, you reached financial freedom in your life, like around the age of 30. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were 29 years old at that point. Before the age of 30. And you did it primarily in the real estate space or, or, or completely in the real estate space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we were all in, in the real estate space. Yeah. So, uh, and with rental properties, we wanted that passive income. You know, our goal for my husband and I was to make uh, more money while we were sleeping <laughs> than than we you know that our active income um, you know working so yeah it, it was a lot of work but but we made it happen and that's also cool guys because both she and her husband uh, retired together at 29 years of age and that's pretty significant so so for the, for for clarity how would you define financial freedom Jennifer how would you define that term. Yeah. So finance. So I look at it two different ways. So for me, there's financial independence, which means that your passive income streams pay for all of your living expenses. Right. So so that basically eliminates um, or covers all of your regular household bills. And then financial freedom is the passive income funds your ideal lifestyle. So, for example, you know, when we were 29 years old, so our rental income was covering, you know, our mortgage. Uh, I think we had like maybe one car payment at the time um, and basically like all of our living expenses, which was fantastic. 
but for us at 29 years old, it's like, well, what else are you going to do at 29 years old when, you know, your bills are paid for? Obviously, we wanted to focus on, you know, growth and contribution and giving back and and spending time with our friends and our family and and also like continuing to, to grow individually and, you know, within our relationship. And so, uh, so we knew that we wanted to keep going. Um, and that's the thing about real estate um, and passive income in general, right, is once you've um, you know, have that passive income streams come in. It's 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 great. You want to keep you want to keep going. And so, for the next five years, uh, we focused then on living our ideal lifestyle and getting our real estate to pay for that. So, an example of that. So, 2019 last year, uh, we ended up as a family. So, we have my husband and I and our five year old daughter. Uh, we spent about four months traveling. And so that was you know some of it was um, Southeast Asia, some of it was Europe. Um, Central America, um, you know, kind of uh, some other trips to the U.S. Um, and all of that was funded uh, by our passive income. Wow, that's exceptional. We're talking to Jennifer Beatles. She's a real estate investor who retired at the age of 29 and has been living off of passive income, as she just stated. And Jennifer, just for one more layer of clarity, how would you define passive income so that our yeah. audience yeah, so I actually call it so real estate. Uh, I call it passive-ish income <laughs> um, because the great thing is, so we can be anywhere in the world, and you know, I can be looking at my my bank account and seeing rents come in, which is fantastic. Uh, however, I had to do some work in order to get those uh, you know income streams to come in, and so uh, so yeah, so related to real estate properties, I call it passive-ish, right? So there's um, you know, amount of time that when we're, you know, in acquisition mode or when we're buying properties to get these income streams, um, you know, there is some coordination and project management and, you know, kind of, um, you know, getting these properties stabilized to then get those passive income streams. Um, and then we have some investments that are completely 100 passive, 100% passive. And that would be, um, you know, like our investments in apartment syndications. And so basically, um, you know, that we've, we've made a, an investment as a limited partner in someone else's, um, in someone else's deal, right? And so we have, um, you know, no say in, in the operations of the property. We had done our initial investment and then we get, you know, monthly or quarterly updates, a K1 at the end of the year, and then our quarterly dividends. So that to me is, is you know, true passive income. The other real estate stuff is passive-ish. No, I like that passive-ish because uh, I used to hear it called NPI, non-performance income, and it's income that you're not performing now to get, but you did a whole lot of performing to get it to that point to make it, uh, you know, continue to be a residual income that comes off of previous work. So thank you for that definition. Now, for those of you who are tuned in today to the podcast and that may have an interest in real estate investment, of course, you'll be energized and educated today uh, by everything Jennifer will share with us. However, for those of you who are, aren't interested, you're not really interested in real estate investment, there's still going to be so much you can take away from this discussion with Jennifer because what we're going to be focusing on periodically is the transferable principles that work in any business and the actionable steps that each of us can take in the pursuit of our own aspirations and goals. So I'm really excited about that. So Jennifer, let's just start with how you got started in the world of real estate investment. Where, where, where did that start for you? Sure. Yeah. So I was 21 years old and I had dropped out of college. 
Uh, so I was going to a local community college. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, to be honest. And I'd always had this interest in real estate. So uh, the interesting thing, you know, sometimes um, in real estate, we say that it skips a generation. So my grandfather was heavily invested in real estate. He had commercial properties. Uh, he also had a manufacturing company. Um, and, you know, he, had, he owned a lot of land um, and he still does. And my parents wanted nothing to do with it. So, they, so uh, you know, when I grew up, I think we had, gosh, two houses uh, total, you know, from, from child to, you know, when I, when I moved out at 18. And so, uh, so anyway, so I always had this interest in real estate. So I decided at 21 years old, that, that was going to be my goal. My goal was going to be to own my own house at 21 years old. And so I worked two jobs um, in the morning, you know, being in Seattle, we have uh, coffee stands, this is what they're called, the little drive up, uh, you know, coffee stand. And, um, and so I, I worked at a coffee stand from uh, 5am to about 1pm in the afternoon. And then I went home, took a took a nap. And then I worked at a local restaurant as a waitress from like three to 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I was saving all my tips, saving all my money, uh, so that I could buy my first house. And so I was able to do that at 21 years old. I think it was like February uh, when I closed on that on that first property. It was the uh, cheapest property that I could find, uh, and in the in the town that you know had pretty affordable properties at that time. And and it was a complete fixer upper. So it was built in 1901. Um, I'm, to this day, I'm not sure how that property was able to get financing, although that was 2007, right? So, so everyone got a loan. Um, but anyway, so through that process, uh, I, I realized a couple of things. One, um, I, I saw on, with, you know, when you buy real estate, you get this thing called a HUD statement. And so it's like a, a kind of a closing statement of all the costs and all the fees and everything. And I remember seeing that real estate commission and I was thinking, wow, uh, this real estate agent had showed me, you know, one house. And then we did the inspection. I'm sure it took, you know, maybe 30 days to close, but he made $7,500. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, that's, that's some pretty good money. Um, and then the other thing kind of through the due diligence uh, process of buying this property, I realized that it had a higher density zoning. And so it was a little more than a quarter acre lot. And I realized, huh, okay, so this house isn't really that nice, but what would it look like if I eventually tore this house down and then put you know, small apartment complex here. And so anyway, so close that house. And then immediately I thought, okay, I want to get into the real estate industry. I just wasn't quite sure, you know, which, which way to go about it. Right. Did I, I didn't necessarily want to go into sales. Um, but I really liked the building and construction and development side of it. So I got hired on, uh, within like, gosh, I think it was like within 30 days, uh, with a local builder. And so again, you know, this was 2007. Um, I was, 21 years old, a young woman that really didn't know much. Um, but they gave me a huge opportunity to learn about building and development and construction um, and, you know, how all of that works. So, yeah, so I really just dove on in, um, learned as much as I could and, um, you know, kind of took that skill set fr from there. And then that turned into me getting my real estate license about a year and a half later. Uh, my purpose in doing that was so that I could let myself into properties, also collect that $7,500 commission, that 3% um, on whatever, you know, I would buy. And, um, and yeah, and that was, that was really how I got started. Now you, well, first of all, another financially free college dropout, go figure, right? <laughs> that's so much for just saying it's cool, uh, but I love it because once you find your passion, um, 
you know, I think you you stayed in school, really. You just went to another school. You transferred. You went into the real estate business school. And I love because I've, I've studied, did some research on you and I studied your story. And you were doing some work. Uh, can you tell our audience how you and one of your college friends, you know, ended up kind of managing this apartment building, 15 unit apartment, where y'all were cleaning up on the weekends just to make room for me? Talk about that because. That was kind of your aha moment when you were sitting there doing all that work. You said, like, somebody else owns this, and I want to be in that situation. Talk about that story for us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I moved out of that first house that I bought, um, I think it was, shoot, maybe maybe a year later. And uh, so I moved in with a girlfriend, and we were kind of kidding, like, like, hey, like, how could we get the cheapest rent possible? Um, I, I'm pretty frugal. Uh, <laughs> I don't like to spend money unless, uh, unless it makes me money. So that's something I still kind of deal with today. But, uh, so anyway, so I, I kind of jokingly said, gosh, you know, it'd be really awesome if we could find an apartment where we can be like onsite managers, uh, for reduced rent. And she was going to UW. So the Univ- university of Washington at the time. And, um, you know, I was doing this real estate thing. And so, so anyways, she called around and, it just so happened that this one vacancy in the town nearby happened to have that unit being vacant. And that was their onsite apartment manager. So it was just, it was perfect. Um, and so we, we kind of had to go through this application process to do it. And, and yes, we moved in and her and I found ourselves uh, for like extra money, um, you know, doing the, the move out cleaning. And we were just kind of handling everything related to this uh, apartment complex. And that's kind of how I learned um, the skills of, of leasing and, um, you know, marketing these units. Cause we, we kind of got some bonuses for doing that. <laughs> so we were highly motivated young 20 uh, somethings at this point. Um, and it was a lot of fun, but yeah, yeah. I learned that, um, that, you know, by, by owning real estate, you know, somebody, I didn't know who the owner was, you know, our communication was through their property manager and I was thinking somebody somewhere is collecting money on all this hard work that us two girls are doing on this apartment complex. I got to get into this business. I got to figure this out. I love it. I love it. I, I look at that as like an aha moment, like when you're working like that and something hits you and like somebody is doing better than me in this situation. And, and I want to be, Somebody is somewhere collecting the spoils while I'm doing all the work. And I think that mental shift to an ownership mentality and mindset is a very important key to business ownership and owning your and owning your own financial destiny. Would you agree that like at some point you got to have that shift in your thinking? Oh, absolutely. And I looked at that, too, as as like, wow, I can earn while I learn here. <laughs> so, yeah. so so from there, so then I went, you know, it was really interesting because the company that I worked for, the owners, they owned quite a few rentals. And so I was always hitting them up. I'm like, hey, can I do tenant placement for you? Hey, can I help out with your rental properties on the weekend? Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to be here. I'm, I'm all in. I want to learn um, and I want to earn along the way as well. You know, that I want to drill down in that a little deeper if we can, Jennifer, because basically your first move after that epiphany that, you know, I want to I want to be in a position of ownership was to learn as much about the industry as you could, because I think I think a lot of people just want to make money. But sometimes in certain seasons of our lives, 
what we learn is just as important as what we earn. And I want to say that parenthetically to our audience, we have to get educated in our area of interest when it comes to our business goal, whatever the industry is. And you made that a priority, learning the business. And so if someone wanted to go into your business and they were interested in the whole world of real estate investing or going, maybe starting it or even going deeper in it to somebody who's in it with all of the resources out there, all the information out there, what are some of your like go-to resources or, or podcasts or blogs or authors? Like who, who does Jennifer Beatles go to, or where does Jennifer Beatles go to research and understand your industry better? Yeah. So it's, it's really about networking and people. So for example, um, you know, I have a, a lot of friends that are, that are in the real estate uh, business and also friends that are outside of real estate too, that, that own their own business. So basically all of our friends are entrepreneurs. <laughs> so we kind of have this like support group of, of entrepreneurs, but um, you know, I, I, I think that it's really, it's great to read books. I love reading books. You know, I read, you know, new books pretty much every month. Um, but there's something about having somebody else to talk to about what you're going through that can also, um, you know, collapse time for you and, and in one conversation could potentially change your trajectory. So, uh, you know, like, like, let me give you an example of this. There's a, a friend of mine, his name is Scott Isaac. I talk about him all the time. He went for his story is incredible. Keith, maybe you should have him on your podcast, but uh, he went from a farmer uh, owning, you know, farmland um, in, in Eastern Washington to now he has 750 units, uh, apartment units, and he recently just finished a ground up new construction 50 unit. And he just got started in 2016. So in four years, <laughs> he owns 750 units uh, and, and has also done ground up new construction. I mean, what, what most people in their entire life, um, you know, wouldn't accomplish in, in a lifetime. And so, so it, it's great. So I, so basically, you know, how I do this is I find people like that through other people that I know, right? So my entrepreneur friends, like I'll ask them, Hey, who do you know that I should do? And this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is a goal of mine. Who do you know that's doing um, bigger ground up construction? Or who do you know that's doing larger apartment complexes? And then I'll lead with value. And so, you know, uh, people like that, I'll say, you know, Hey, I got your name from such and such. I'm super impressed by what you're doing. Um, and, and offer them something of value. Right. And then, and then we'll just start a relationship that way. So, so for me, that's honestly the, the best resource is uh, finding other people that are doing what you want to do, leading with value, hopefully making a, a connection, you know, through somebody that you already know, and then, um, you know, being able to kind of have that value exchange of uh, the ability to ask them questions and then also, you know, adding value to them. No, I love that. That's a great answer. And that's something we all can put into practice. My mentor um, calls that accelerated mentoring. Like instead of reading the whole book, like or going to the class or whatever, like one conversation can accelerate your your knowledge and your skill set and the exact steps you need to take in a situation. Now, let's talk more about that if we can. So you say when you reach out to this person, you, you talk to them about how impressed you are with what they're doing. What are some of the things, if you don't mind us, mind me asking, what are some of the things you might ask or might present as an offer of value to a person? Like if, if, it's, if somebody's listening right now and saying, hey, I know somebody I'd love to be able to sit down and talk to, 
what can, what what kind of thing can you offer of value to get someone to as you say make make time make time and space for you yeah yeah so somebody that has achieved a lot of success uh typically they're not going to be like you know, money driven. Uh, and so, so it can be a little bit hard to kind of think of like, how could I add value to this person? Um, a lot of times it's just another connection or um, sometimes too, like in, in, you know, Scott's uh, in that example, um, I knew that he was somebody that was really into contribution. Um, people that have a, a, you know, reasonable amount of success. Uh, typically they are really interested in helping others. And, and so, you know, with Scott, uh, I've, you know, he's actually come and spoken to our, our local group several times and he just loves it. And so, so it's fantastic. So I've asked him, you know, Hey, do you want to come and come and speak, come and speak to the group, you know, kind of giving him that audience. And then, um, I mean, even like continually, we had a, we had a local meetup, um, last month and several people had said, Oh, that, that conversation from Scott or that, that talk that Scott had, had given, um, you know, that's really gotten me to the next level. And so, so I'll let him know. So I'll, I'll send him a text message and say, Hey, Scott, just so you know, Sean, who was at the meetup that you talked to, you know, he went from, uh, two units to 28 now, you know, great job and, and things like that. Um, so, so that is a, is one example of how to do that. Um, cool. another one, of course, you know, would be like, I have a, another friend that, um, uh, he owns quite a few properties in Seattle, but he wanted to go out of state. And so, um, you know, we had some conversations about that and I connected him with um, an agent that was able to find him a 42 unit apartment complex that was off market. So, um, so things like that, I think, I think other connections to other really great people um, is incredibly valuable. I love it. I love it. We're talking today with wildly successful real estate investor, Jennifer Beatles today on the Keith Battle podcast and Jennifer, um, let me ask you a question. Is, is getting a real estate license necessary or important in doing real estate investment? And if so, how long does that process take and what is it, what is it comprised of? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I get that a lot. So I would say that it is definitely not a requirement to get a real estate license in order to invest. And uh, actually, the most uh, successful investors I know don't have a real estate license. Um, so I, I think it can be helpful if you're wanting to kind of do that earn and learn as I, as I had suggested, right? So if, 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 uh, somebody is really interested in real estate and they want to maybe make a career pivot and they love sales and they love people, then, uh, maybe getting a real estate license and, uh, working as a salesperson while also learning the business would be valuable. So, so in that instance, I think, I think that it would be worth it. But if, if it's just someone who loves their career um, and wants to invest in real estate, then I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend the time to get licensed. Um, every state's a little bit different. Um, and in my state, Washington state, it's about 90 hours uh, in a classroom, you know, either online or, or in person, um, you know, for the continuing education and then, you know, the licensing and things like that. And it, it can be an expensive uh, hobby too. You know, if you're not actually planning on using it for real estate sales, then I just don't think it's worthwhile. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, since you guys, you and your husband, 29 years old, able to have financial uh, independence and now even able to travel for four months because of your passive income, have you guys launched out into any other additional business ventures since, you know, that may be 
beyond what got you to the point where you were independent financially? Yeah. So in, um, shoot, it was in 2016, you know, so uh, prior to that, I had worked as an, as an investor agent in the Seattle area. And so, um, you know, I was self-employed doing that, love doing that. Um, but I wanted to reach more people and I wanted to contribute and give back and, and have a greater sense of community. Uh, and, and I just couldn't do that with the available properties that were in Seattle. And so at that point is when we started Agents Invest. And so we have a network now of investor savvy agents that work with investors uh, across the U.S. in these different markets. And so what that's allowed us to do is not only help and serve more families in order to help them achieve financial freedom for themselves, but it's also allowed us to give back to our agent partners. And so some of our agents, the great thing is that now, you know, they're able to achieve financial independence and financial freedom and grow their business, um, you know, by working with our network as well. So that's worked really well. Um, so that's, you know, the, uh, the agents invest company that I have. Um, we are also working on, uh, I have an e-commerce kind of uh, side hustle um, that I'm working on as well that I'm super passionate about. That's uh, kind of a newer, uh, a newer business for me. So um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Learning a lot on that. I love it. I love it. We know your drive. We've seen you do it before, or we, we have the record that you've done it before. So we're excited. One of my one of the business owners, really successful business owner here in the DMV area where I am, uh, I went to him because I wanted to start a, a business, a family business to get my, my wife and kids and I involved in something. And, you know, I was trying to go, I kind of narrowed it down, I wanted to go into smoothie business. And, and so this guy he told me, he says, Keith, you should stay close to your core. In, in other words, don't go too far away from where you already have relationships, connections, resources, credibility and knowledge. And that was huge for me because I was going to go into like, you know, an, an entirely different industry without those core connections, relationships, resources, credibility and knowledge. And I think, you know, when you when you when you expand out and branch out, you should have some connection to your core that gives you a stability going forward. Um, and it seems to me you kind of done that, uh, in your business portfolio, like you and your husband both were in the construction business prior to launching, you know, your real estate investment business. And it seems like most of what you're doing is kind of core around real estate, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's an important point that, that now I don't know what the e-commerce thing is, but when you're, when you're, when you're financially free, you can you can take more risk like that. So hopefully, you know, all will work out on that end as well. One of, one of the things that um, I heard about your story is that there were days when you would just stand at auctions and buy properties. <laughs> and and what, what kind of made me chuckle was how hard you worked and how many like can you talk about like in the days between 21 to 29, 22 to 29, particularly like what kind of days were you spending? Like how long of a day would you spend working on your business? Like, can you give a typical like start and finish day? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be honest, Keith, I, I kind of uh, stopped counting the hours. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, it, it was a lot of work uh, to be honest. See, you know, my husband and I, we had, we had a five-year plan, right. And we said, all right, we're going to really dedicate this time and, and, and effort and just, you know, really hustle for five years 
And then, um, you know, the goal is that then we can do whatever we want for the rest of our lives. Like, like literally we were so focused on that. And so at the time he worked uh, as a union excavator, which basically, you know, he, he's the guy uh, in the big equipment that, you know, digs in the ground and, you know, gets to, gets to play with the big boy toys all day long. And, uh, and he was really, really good at that. Uh, he often worked 10 to 14 hour days. And that's before factoring in commute time, right? And then I was working as this investor agent. Uh, as you had mentioned, yes, every Friday you could find me standing rain, sh- rain shine or snow uh, on the courthouse steps bidding on properties, um, you know, either for, for myself or for other investor clients. And so, um, shoot, I, I would probably start work at about 7 a.m. and then uh, I would finish probably around 10 p.m. Mm. Um, and, and we, and so, you know, my husband would come home, uh, we were both exhausted, you know, Hey, how was your day? Great, great, great. <laughs> a little check-in. Um, and then we'd be done. And then on the weekends we, and then, uh, on the weekends and, and kind of after hours is when we'd work on our properties. And so, you know, we were really into saving money and because we both had these kind of construction skills and knowledge, um, yeah, we, we were out there, um, you know, ordering pizza, eating dinner on saw horses, uh, at our, at our properties, fixing them up. Um, so it was, it was a lot of long, long days and a lot of work. Um, I mean, certainly there's, there's a lot of better ways to do it. Um, but you know, we just didn't have a whole lot of capital to work with. So we had to get really scrappy and, uh, really just kind of put that literally sweat equity in. You know, I said, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you know, highlighted that and not because we want to, you know, have people run into the ground, workaholics or whatever, and they're missing out on life or, or relationships that matter. But I think at the same time, there's this misnomer that a lot of successful people are chilling. Like they're just like laid back because the social media posts, which is usually a lot less accurate than what's really going on most of the time. The social media posts is on a boat, you know, getting a suntan, you know, um, at a restaurant, enjoying time with friends. But those, when the person's really working, sitting on a sawhorse, eating pizza, we don't have time to take pictures when we're doing what allows the boat trip to take place. And a lot of people, I don't, I can't say a lot. I don't know too many people who didn't, unless they got an inheritance that didn't get to a place of financial confidence success without working a whole lot and a long time. And a lot of time and sacrificing. So thank you for that part of the story as well, because you're not going to get there easily. But if you got to work that hard, it may be be something that's profitable and something that you actually enjoy doing. And it sounds like you found both. Absolutely. And again, and we were kind of on that, you know, we were we were uh, working on our active income and also our passive income. And I think sometimes people don't realize that building enough passive income streams is actually harder than making a lot of money uh, being, you know, kind of the the operator or the producer of that income. And so, yeah, so we were really kind of doing both simultaneously, Um, you know, again, and we we were so into this goal. Um, And and the interesting thing though, I'll tell you, Keith, it it wasn't, I would say that the the work, like the early days, uh, that was actually easier than when we were making good money. Because at that point, then it was like, Oh well, well now we're making good money. Should we just kind of relax a little bit? Like, like how do we, um, like, like what do we do now? 
Um, and, and that was a challenge. That was a, that was a really big challenge. Um, because, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, well, shoot, we deserve, we deserve a nicer house, right? Oh, oh, maybe we should get a brand new truck or maybe we should buy that boat to enjoy the weekends. And, and that was kind of, that was probably like, uh, maybe like three, three and a half years in when these kind of, uh, uh, lifestyle uh, creeping up, kind of the thoughts were, were coming to us. And it was like, oh, oh okay, shoot. Well, well, yeah, I mean, we worked really hard. I mean, maybe it is time to kind of relax. Um, and so we had to have some serious conversations about, okay, we're, we're not quite there yet. If we can just, you know, uh, maybe not work as hard, maybe don't work <laughs> in 10, 12 hour days, uh, but let's get, let's get a little bit smarter. Let's, let's try not to work maybe as hard, uh, but let's really kind of step back from this and think about ways that uh, that we can work a little bit smarter. I love it. Tough. I love it. I love it. I, I do. You, you said something else I want to go a little deeper in. You said earning passive income is much harder than earning active income. So let's say the person is working, 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 and they've got their salary up to seven figures. But you're saying that's easier work than getting maybe a passive income to six figures. Well, I, you didn't say it that way, but yeah. that's kind of what came to my mind when you said it. So talk about that, even if you have, even if you want to tweak that statement a little bit, like explain why you said it, because I see clearly what you're saying, but I want to make sure I yeah. you correctly and that our audience understands what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, and I think it, it, it all boils down to like delayed gratification. Right. So um, I see people struggle with this all the time. I have some friends that that earn a really, really high income. Um, but the challenge is they're, they're tied to that, that self-employment or they're tied to that job and they see no way out because they don't have any passive income. And so, so it's almost like they're, they're, they're stuck. Um, and a lot of people reach out to me and they say, gosh, I, I so wish that I could have your life. I, I wish that I could travel whenever I wanted to. I wish I could, you know, buy whatever I wanted to, you know, and, and, and take time off, but I, I just can't. And, and it's so funny to me because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, with your income, if you had just, del- if you were willing to delay the gratification of not necessarily having that that huge income come in, you know, actively, and instead invest it, and I'm not even saying it has to be real estate for people. Um, you know, real estate was just my vehicle, right? I mean, the, 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 there's a lot of other ways to do it as well. Um, I just know real estate, so I think that you know, we, my husband and I were really willing to delay gratification and say, all right, so we're working really hard to make good income. Great. Um, but we're going to take the excess. We're going to take that income and invest it. And, and it's really tough because you look at it and you see, oh, well, shoot. Okay. I own two properties and I'm making $400 a month, but knowing that there's a bigger picture. Um, and so, you know, $400 a month turns into 800, turns into you know, and it kind of just goes from there. But, but yeah, I think, I think it's a mental challenge. It's a mental shift to purposely focus on uh, building passive income streams, you know, making more money while you're sleeping than while you're awake um, or, you know, getting income to come in no matter where you're at in the world uh, than it is to just go and earn a really good income. Um, So it's, it's a mindset thing. Uh, It's mindset and, and related to, yeah, delayed gratification. I love it. I love it. Thank you for highlighting that. I want to tackle one more angle that might be really something that our real estate members of our audience or real estate investors can appreciate. And that's something that you've got, you've uh, got your hands in pretty thick now, and that's supportive living housing. Yes. Um, those supportive home contracts. Talk about that and how really strategic and 
successful those kind of investments have been for you and can be for others? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a little uh, niche of ours. Um, We got started with supported living in 2015. And what supported living is, so every state has a version of this program. Um, In some states, it can be called residential living services. In other areas, they call it uh, group homes or assisted living. Uh, But basically, in the state of Washington, it's called supported living. And it is a rental program Um, that allows a property owner to rent out their property to people with intellectual disabilities. And the rent is is covered by uh, typically like social security income, disability income, um, sometimes Section 8 covers it as well. Um, uh, But it's funded on the state and the federal level. And so basically, um, you know, the, the residents move in and they all have caregivers. Now, it's not like an adult family home situation. So the caregivers don't actually reside and live at the property, but they do work in 24-hour shifts. And so they provide all the basic care, um, you know, food prep, um, you know, kind of helping the the resident get from point A to point B, um, you know, financial oversight, everything like that. And so, um, so yeah, so we own several properties um, that, that are run as supported living rentals. And, and it's actually been a really pa- a, a passion of mine, um, one on both the landlord side um, and then also um, on the, the resident side, um, because they're, they're really having a hard time finding landlords that um, are willing to you know, rent to these individuals or even know about it. Um, you know, there's, a, I think, a lack of awareness or, or understanding of um, how big this housing need is. Um, and it's huge. I mean, in the state of Washington, actually in the county that I'm in, I think that there's a wait list of about 200 people. And so oftentimes when there's not residential housing available for these individuals, they're stuck in hospitals um, or they're stuck in assisted living, uh, which is not, you know, the where, where they should be. And so by offering up the properties that we own to these individuals and, and through these uh, state providers, it allows us um, as the landlord to uh, also reduce our expenses. So we actually are able to net more um, on these properties than we would if it was a regular tenant. So an example of that would be, uh, you know, when these residents move in, they often stay 10 plus years. And so uh, from a property owner standpoint, the most, um, the biggest expense that we have is actually vacancy. So when our property is sitting vacant, uh, it's not producing an income. And then we also have to cover the property taxes, the expenses and everything related to that property. So when these residents move in and they stay 10 years, uh, we're able to eliminate a lot of those vacancy expenses. Um, the other thing that's really fantastic is, um, you know, for any multifamily properties, um, they pay all of the utility bills. So oftentimes, you know, if we own a duplex, triplex or fourplex, there's one water bill and it can kind of be a little awkward and tough to split that water bill between the different units. Well, in this situation, uh, they pay the full water bill. So the great thing is that reduces our expenses, the property owner by not having to pay that. Um, the other thing that's also really great is each resident comes with a $12,000 property modification budget. And so what that goes towards is um, anything that the resident needs in order to um, you know, make that a comfortable living situation for them. So an example of that would be a wheelchair ramp, um, you know, ADA bathroom kind of reconfiguration. We've also had... Um, some examples on our properties, we had a resident move in um, and they replaced the flooring in that bedroom. Um, They've also replaced um, the living room flooring as well in another one. Uh, We had another property where they paid to fully fence the property. 
so that the residents, you know, could enjoy being outside and, and have it be a safe place for them. Um, so, yeah, so we, we love that. We've actually, um, you know, really worked closely with five different providers in the state of Washington. Um, and we're constantly talking about their housing needs um, and, and where they need to be. And then we will, as investors, go out and buy properties uh, that they can then rent and move into. No, that's exceptional because on the one hand, it makes sense on the business side, because I think you also stated before that there's zero percent vacancy, because even while there's a vacancy, uh, is there a situation where there's the relationship with the state uh, allows them to continue to pay for the space while they find another person? Is that is that absolutely so? So it makes tremendous sense from a business standpoint, but it also makes, you know, um since from a compassion standpoint, when you're looking at 200 people who don't have quality, a quality home or the or adequate housing. And um, so bravo to you and your team for making that possible for them. Again, guys, we're talking today with real estate investor Jennifer, Be- Jennifer Beatles here on Keith Battle podcast. And Jennifer, I'm almost done. But you talked about how you and your husband had a goal to have the least amount of units with the highest profitability. Um, How do you, if that's the goal, um, you know, less headaches, more margin, (laughs) how do you, how do you even know what deal to take and where you're going to profit most? Like, is, is there a, is there like a punch list of things you go through in your mind that you're looking for as an investor like, like some of them may, that may be obvious and maybe some that may not be so obvious. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, and first, I want to point out, so my husband and I, uh, so we control 239 units. Uh, and how that breaks down is we own personally 27 units. And then uh, we're general partners on a 212-unit apartment complex. So even if we just focus on the 27 units, we actually had less than that when we were able to achieve financial independence. So I really want to point out and I really want to make sure that people understand you do not have to own hundreds of properties in order to make this work. And so for us, um, that's really a big thing that we've been promoting, right, is, hey, with a small portfolio, you can make a huge difference um, on your financial future. So so love that you brought that up and, and thank you for pointing that out. Um, so, all right, so how do we do that? <laughs> so uh, we look for what's called value-add multifamily. And so uh, what that means is, you know, anywhere from like two to 20 units is probably our bread and butter. And we look for properties that I also call them recession-proof, right? So when we got started, we were getting in, I mean, we were like in the thick of it. Um, you know, I got my license in real estate nine in, in 2009. We, we all know what happened in the real estate um, you know, industry. I think, we, I think everyone in the U.S. Uh, was affected in some way uh, by that recession. And so anyways, um, because we were so young and we were just getting started, uh, a lot of our tenants in, in the early days, they were on unemployment. Uh, but our rents were affordable enough for them to um, be on unemployment or get a roommate and still afford the rent. So we realized early on, okay, we want to go after affordable housing and also make it, you know, clean and we, we want to have it be the best it can be uh, for that neighborhood and that area and attract tenants that, you know, that can pay no, water, no matter what is happening, you know, in, in the 
you know, in the economy. And so, so that's important. So for us, we look for, uh, like our bread and butter again is like two bedroom, one bath units that are going to be between 800 to a thousand square feet. Um, so that allows us to, if we do have a turnover, it's pretty inexpensive to turn that unit over. So we're not paying tens of thousands of dollars for a 2000 single family, 2000 square foot single family house, right? That, that to me is not a recession proof investment. And so we go for um, as many units as we can under one roof. We get an efficiency um, on that from a loan standpoint and also you know, property taxes, insurance, all of those different things. So we look for that value add multifamily where we can buy these properties. We can make them nicer, attract really great tenants that'll stay and have the ability to pay no matter what the economy is doing. So, so that's kind of what we look for. Um, on a return standpoint, we're looking for double digit returns. So, you know, 10% or higher. Um, now, granted, we're, we're putting some work into these properties. We're taking a little bit of risk and, and a little bit of time up front to make them nice. Um, but, you know, that's that's really our target. So with that, you know, with that criteria, again, we're able to, um, you know, have not a whole bit, not, a, not that many properties um, and just getting really good cash flow from that. Um, and then we kind of, you know, make sure that from an operation standpoint, that's kind of my strength. Um, so I make sure that, you know, we can... Um, you know, do, do things like low flow toilets, right? Um, aerators, you know, things, things that will make the water bill lower, right? Um, you know, we also do things like we allow pets, but we do charge for them. So we have pet rent and deposits and all these little things really add up. Um, I actually just got a lease renewal this morning from our eightplex in Tennessee. Uh, we had two lease renewals. Uh, we were able to get, I think, over uh, $100 a month. Uh, now extra for these lease renewals. So that really also drives up the value of the property when you have, um, you know, higher net operating income. That's brilliant. And I think, I think that the lesson to us is anybody just trying to get into real estate investment, investing, when you take this approach that Jennifer and her husband have taken, that you don't just jump at every deal. Cause sometimes we get a little excited and just want to kind of jump in the fray and yeah, I'll, I'll, I want a piece of that action. And, but when you start saying we want to, we want a minimum uh, 10% return on this investment and maybe everybody doesn't need to shoot that high, but I think that's, that's the kind of discipline that they've used to minimize risk and maximize return. And I think that's exceptional. And I, I can't thank you enough for the wisdom and the, the insight you've given us all a day. And it's just really been a blessing to have you on the podcast. This has been Mrs. Jennifer Beatles, the owner of the company Agents Invest out of Washington, the Washington State area. And Jennifer, we could go on and on talking about this, but I'm going to respect your time and let you go. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today to be with us. Before we go, though, how can people keep up with you, contact you, reach out to you, follow you? Are you on social media? How can people reach out to you and just learn from you or connect with you? Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, as you could probably hear, I love talking about real estate. So thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I hope that uh, this has been really valuable for your listeners. And so thank you for, for that opportunity. All right. So uh, how to get in touch with me. So I have actually two websites. So agentsinvest.com is our real estate brokerage. Uh, you guys can send me a little uh, message there through our, our contact field. Uh, I also have, if you guys are interested in kind of following my story and kind of some of our personal 
uh, journey of investing. My website on that is called addictedtoroi.com. And that's where we get a little bit personal and we kind of share, you know, what's happening in our portfolio, what's happening in our world, um, our family travels. Uh, So that's a great, you know, website for that. You can contact me through there too. And then also um, Facebook and Instagram. uh, It's Jennifer Beatles one. (laughs) Somebody took Jennifer Beatles. I'm Jennifer Beatles one. All right, y'all. You follow her on Instagram. I'm about to follow her right now on Instagram, Jennifer Beatles One. That's awesome. It's been an awesome time. And that's my hope for all of you listening. Just you'd have an awesome day, an awesome week, and all the days ahead would be awesome for you. I'm Keith Battle, and you're tuned into the Keith Battle Podcast, and I'll catch you right back here next time on the Keith Battle Podcast.